0: Hello, and welcome to An Endless Pursuit, a podcast on innovation from Bristol Water. My name is Chris Thomas, and I look after The Quest, our open innovation program that's on a never ending pursuit for progress. As part of this, I've been speaking with a number of internal and external experts to explore where the industry should be headed. We want to share our findings and are publishing them in this podcast. The series has explored a number of different themes, and today's theme is customer experience. We're particularly focusing on how companies can deliver social value to the communities that they serve. In the case of Bristol Water, bringing clean water to the city was about providing water you can drink to everybody. And it had a dramatic effect on ridding the city of waterborne disease. In this episode, I speak with Ben Newby and Ian McGovern. Ben is the Chief Customer Officer here at Bristol Water, focused on ensuring we continue to provide a leading customer experience to those we serve. Ben looks after all the customer aspects of our activities. This includes our contact centres, our communications teams and our recreation business. Prior to his current role, Ben was the Director of Business Improvement and IT, driving transformational change across Bristol Water. When he's not working on how to deliver a better experience for our customers, he can be found making the most of the countryside around Bristol and taking to the Bristol Channel in his sailing boat. Ian is the Director of Strategy and Regulation at Bristol Water and has worked in the water sector since 2002. As part of his role, he's responsible for water quality, ensuring that we provide the best possible product to our customers. Ian has been responsible for helping Bristol Water produce the Bristol Water Clearly long-term ambition and Bristol Water For All social contract. Being a veteran of four water industry price reviews, his track record covers working with others on a wide range of environmental, economic, customer and regulatory topics, often all in the same conversation. As someone whose role covers both big ideas and regulatory detail, He strongly believes in recycling things, mostly ideas, and connecting seemingly random topics together. You can follow him on Twitter at McGuffer underscore Ian. I hope you enjoy this episode, and as ever, please do join the conversation through innovation at bristolwater.co.uk. Hi Ben and Ian, thanks for joining me today. We're exploring how we deliver for our customers. So we're thinking about customer experience in the broadest sense and and how we serve the communities that we're part of. So to begin and help us to get our our minds around this topic, Ben, can you help explain a little bit of what we mean by customer experience?
1: Yeah, yeah, no problem, Chris. I think it's a term
0: which is banded around a lot. And I think the way we
1: interpret the, the, the customer experience is we look at, first of all, product. We look at service and we look at experience. It's probably the easiest way of understanding it. So, product is what comes out of the tap for us it's water, core product that has to be delivered. Continuously at the right quality at the right pressure. So and it needs to be available. That's the first thing. If you don't get that right, then you're on a hunt into nothing. The next thing then is a service. So customers do need to contact us for a variety of reasons. But I'd always always add that if they contact us because something's gone wrong, we've already failed. But assuming they contact us for a whole, they may be moving house or they may have need a new supply or something. So when they contact us, that service needs to be tailored and delivered in the way which works for them. So that could mean nowadays through a new digital service, but it could be a, a human interaction. So making sure that the service which they get is delivered to their needs and the way they want, you know, it's and making that individual and delivering that correctly is where the art is to get it right. Now, wrapped around all of this is experience. So services generally, when we're communicating directly with the customer, experience can be more indirect. So you look at something like marketing, or you look at maybe where a customer's affected by our roadworks, or they see us managing our estates, or they they sort of have a, a an encounter with us, they have an interaction with us through something other than our core sort of service. So that's where, when we say experience, A customer builds up a view of a company through many different interactions. What we may try to do is make sure that all of those interactions are positive. And
0: what's the hardest thing to get right across all of that?
1: The hardest thing at the moment, I'd say it's probably two areas. I'll start off with the easiest one. So, so legacy systems are a problem. So making sure that actually a lot of systems which were built to service, I think, companies rather than customers, they weren't designed actually with their customers in mind, is a challenge and they need to be amended, changed into, graded and so forth. But the, the point I'd like to make, which I think is more poignant, is, is individualization of service is absolutely key. So making sure that when you design a service or you design an interaction, you've got to be careful because by the very very um, nature of designing it for a group means you exclude other groups and we have to be very aware you know as a provider we provide to everyone the 1.2 million customers which we service and all customers need to be able to be serviced in a way which works for them some people want updates all the time. Some people may have a, a, a physical impairment. Some people may wish to contact us through traditional channels. Some people may wish to use a, a much more um, a newer, innovative channel. And really, we need to embrace change, but we also need to maintain traditional contact. But we need to do all of that in a seamless, individualized way, which is a positive experience. And I think that's the biggest challenge currently.
0: So as we design those experiences and tailor them, how how do we get that right?
1: So the first, most important thing is you look at the customer journey and you look at um, getting customer feedback. So when you, throughout the stages of designing what we call the UX, the user experience, you look to get feedback from customers as to what works for them. So what we found is, um, you look maybe applying for a meter as a journey. The previous experience where it was designed was very much designed around, I suppose, the engineering stages. Whereas actually when we redesigned it and looked at it from a customer's view, we changed the process to make it work for them. So for me, getting the customer feedback in order that you can have this the service working in a way for them but um,
0: in a a consistent way and when we think about this customer experience and engaging with people to tailor those experiences where, where do we see the general trends in in modern expectations of customers and what they want from that experience with their their water utilities
1: as i said before it needs to be tailored for their needs but i think what you're getting at is you're going beyond customers are looking beyond just the service and experience they provide by the company into what the company stands for and where the company adds, um, effectively, is there alignment of brand values, um, the ethics of the the company. So more and more now, consumers want to make sure that the company providing them with an
0: essential service is aligned with their concerns and views of society. And so... Probably then a, a question for both of you is, because we're all customers and we all, we all have customer experiences, what makes the difference between a, a good company uh, and a great company? Ian, perhaps I'll start, start with you. So it does, experience is really
2: something that that individual customers feel. And when we were developing our business plan, when we did a sort of Facebook Live event and I asked that question and it said, well, it was something like Disney. Because, and the, the person I was having the conversation with talked about how... Um, Disney stores, she used them and went in them when her child started playing up when she was going around town on a Saturday. So it wasn't just the purchase opportunity, it was the way that they welcomed them. And it was actually a distraction from the other things that was going on. And that for her was the great customer services and experience, because it wasn't just about the product or the service. It created the opportunity to do that by getting somebody's attention for other things that were bothering their, their life. Now for a water company... That's actually quite important because if you think about the reservoirs we look after, the opportunities there for people to actually go and get recreation or about, you know, if there's a supply interruption, it very much depends about what else is going on in somebody's life about whether they're vulnerable at yeah. those moments. And a great water company or great utility is the one who understands that in their customer journey and can get that right consistently for all of those things that are happening in the outside world and that's the really hard challenge
1: yeah i think you're right ian and um you know i was reading something about mini and the fact that when you go to the mini experience you know you're not just buying the, the car you're buying into the brand but if you go into their showroom it, they will cater for your dietary requirements because actually you're not gonna have a good experience unless you can eat something which suits your diet and i think for, for us You're right picking up, in because when you look into, you know, you picked up vulnerability, all sorts of vulnerability, and whether it's physical, whether it's financial, at first glance, you wouldn't think that a water company has to be concerned about some of these issues. But actually, they're really important that, first of all, that people can pay the bill and they get help to pay if they can't pay the bill. But actually, if they've got a physical impairment, they can't potentially understand their bill, they can't read it they need help if we have a, a disruption to a supply, that actually we provide them with the um, temporary water or, or help as they need it. Because actually that, that, as you say, vulnerability, it, it can be, it's temporary and it's very unique and it's very personal. So therefore we have to train our staff and train people in effectively understanding customers and understanding their need. And there's a human element here. And one of the things which, you know, while I'm on a roll, it, it does frustrate. We talk a lot about the digital side, which is really important to improving the experience. But but for me, the human touch is really – and there's it, it, a lot of – the basics of a good experience or a great experience are still human. So an example of user experience where a, a solution's been provided without really thinking about the impact on people's lives and, and individual circumstances, if anyone's seen I, Daniel Blake, the um, the film recently where a guy in his 50s, he can't work through ill health and so he's told by his doctor he needs to sign on and in order to, to get benefits and so forth. He can't use a computer, so the computer says no, and then he can't get any help because the process doesn't allow that time. Then he has to go off and find jobs, but he has to ask for jobs even though his doctor's told him he can't work, and he gets sort of caught in this cycle where he's going around and he gets depressed, and then that isn't noticed because everything's done through an online service. And, you know, he has a spiral downwards. I mean, it's actually, in the end, he, he deals with it, but he gets to a really low point, and it's a real... For me, a wake up call that people should see that to understand that uh, when you're designing these systems and solutions, you need to make sure that you can, whether it's a channel shift, whether it's a get out, whether it's understanding that people need individual conversations at the right time in order to provide, because people's lives are complicated and people are in lots of different situations. And if you don't take that
0: into account, and
1: th- then you're going to make people's lives worse rather than enhance them, which that is not a
0: good thing. And as we try and get that balance right and think about that human experience and tailoring it and meeting people uh, where they are and whatever state of life I suppose they're in, our strategy starts to focus a lot on being a local company and having a local presence and being part of those communities we serve. Ian, perhaps you could explain a little bit of what we mean by that and what we're trying to achieve. I mean, it
2: it really comes down to that all public services and water in particular are always going to have to be part of their local community. It's a public health service. So it's the water supply and the water supply comes from around where the people live and you can only ensure that they're going to get the right experience if it actually reflects what they're doing with your product. So very much it's their house, their pipe worker that leaks. If you're really interested in resource efficiency, you've got to understand the area and the people and what they're doing with that. The other problem is we're not just dealing with water as a product that we get out of thin air. It comes out of the environment and how you look after that environment, you can't do as a water company in isolation. So being that close connection to the community, community organisations, the challenges that are facing the area that you serve, the local authorities, those are fundamental roles of the water company. However you're owned, whatever your history is, that's what you have to focus on. The other thing that's important to us, and Ben made this point, is that unless you are actually engaging your own staff and your own people in that challenge, you're hardly going to be able to give anybody you they come across that sense that you are a happy local organization who really cares about the people that you're serving that wants to do that you're not going to get that message across that these are things you care about as an organization unless the people working in it feel part of that journey either and for customer experience that is the most important thing of all and anybody who's interacted with another organization you can have great processes but if the people don't enjoy working there you've got no chance
1: and you've picked up authenticity is becoming more and more obvious through companies companies can't say one thing and do another so in in you know in the old days you could get away with that nowadays the tra- level of transparency is is completely changing with so many different channels available and you know as your staff as your ambassadors you have to make sure that they are, are in it with their hearts and minds and if then they're, they're not then you're going to have a sort of disconnect with that authenticity and i think that's going to trip up more and more companies as we move forward that if you're not aligned and, and ultimately employees will vote with
0: their feet as well, you know, and that will bec- become more and more obvious to the customers. So can I ask guys, where would you like to see companies doing more and more to provide customers with the benefits and by being part of the community they serve, where, where can we push the boundaries, perhaps specifically in the, in the Bristol area? So the hardest thing to do of
2: all is actually get the people who don't feel part of community or society and don't connect with you, how do you actually get them connected to that challenge? They might be able to connect with you in terms of the product or the bill. But actually, if you're wanting to talk more about what are the things influencing you to really understand and plan for the future, that's quite a hard challenge to do. So that's the most important thing you've got to try and do is build um, that network of people who are understanding what's going on and don't try and work in isolation. So whether you're working with other companies, your supply chain. And actually, most importantly, again, the people who are working in the organization, what are they worried about? What are their motivations of what, um, how to do that? So we, when we talk to our customers about it, the thing they're most worried about is the next generation. Mm-hmm. They're worried about actually how they're going to earn their own mm-hmm. homes. And homes and water use and ownership has been traditionally how you approach things like water efficiency. but if people aren't owning their own home, how are you actually going to make that connection with them? So it all comes back with education and learning about actually what pressures how are the next generation feeling, and then understanding and learning from them how does that change the
0: the kind of service that you might offer in the future and as a company. That service we provide is steeped in a lot of social purpose and in trying to contribute to those, those societies. And in fact, the whole water industry really is the same thing. We're all trying to provide something fundamental to human life that raises that standard of living. And you can, you can see that in a number of companies. We've explicitly put it at the heart of what we do. And I wonder again, if you can just reflect on how we're doing that and and, and what we're trying to achieve in that space. Part of it is actually going back to authenticity
2: again, is the history of Bristol Water. It was set up by a group of innovative people who wanted to do something socially good for the whole of society. They wanted clean, fresh water for the city when, at a time when people didn't realise that It was the water in the city that was polluting and making the the people ill. And they only, you know, they were fighting against rival organizations who only wanted to supply to the rich areas of the city. So that history and how an organization goes through crises that affected the communities or society, whether it's how do you cope with a water supply when you're in the middle of the Second World War and some of the main pipes have been blown up, you know, when there's a lack of oil and fuel in order to treat and pump water out, how do you cope with that? And how do you engage with the community in order to recognize that as a shared challenge? That's still just as important today, whether it's actually how we're going to cope with climate change or how are we going to cope with um, the challenges of you know people wanting better and better services for a cheaper price, the challenge is still there today. And what you have in Bristol is the opportunity with a, a place that is full of innovative, creative people to actually engage with them. People are open to new ideas, and that's really exciting given the history of Bristol Water, that opportunity to engage and then find a completely different way of delivering water product that isn't just about the water service that goes beyond that in the way that you plan as an organization, that's quite exciting.
1: Yeah, that's co-creation, isn't it? And that co-creation it, it bleeds into so many different areas. One example we've looked at recently is where we worked uh, with the energy companies to share data to help those in, in vulnerable circumstances, so to provide a better service. You look at where we work with farmers around catchment management, jointly looking at problems. You look at our relationship with City to Sea, in fact, on the uh, putting fountains, but also fundamentally looking at a problem in society which is, you know, that was plastic pollution was their aim. But for, for us, it was also trying to understand why are people not drinking tap water? Why are people buying bottled water? Why is there a, a even a perception? Is it is it due to availability or is it some a wider social issue? Or, and, and actually, by working together in collaboration, we've been able to start to make some headways into these into these wider issues. And as Ian said, we're facing more and more really serious concerns which we have to work together with um, partners to address and, and, and play our part in that,
0: in that solution. If this idea of co-creation and collaboration is a route to, to having or, or maximizing the impact we, we can have, how can companies operationalize those, that, that way of working and that, and that, that way of doing it within themselves to make that effective and make that part of their, uh, the way they go and do business. So it
2: starts with the external perspective. It does start with trust. So again, you need some accountability that if you believe that you can actually produce a better solution by working across organisations, you've got to provide some degree of commitment that that's actually going to work. And the same applies within an organisation. So we very much rely on our values as an organisation and the most important of those is trust. they signal for the people in the organisation the strengths that we're not going to lose. That includes our heritage. It includes actually respect for each other and working in the right way. But it also is quite challenging set of values as well the things that we have to do better and being open and honest about that why you need to do something as well as what you need to do and it's known as a purposeful organization purposeful organizations are more effective they're more profitable they're more innovative um, because they engage people with that necessity and that applies within the organization as well as outside of it.
1: it also helps you you don't have to codify everything because actually people can be more agile but effectively you don't have to have a process for everything if you know that there's a set of values which you're working to and as long as you work within those values then you can again do things in the right way
0: so it's a, it's a really empowering thought isn't it it
1: is and that's how it should should you know that's how it's seen
0: and i guess an area where we've began to formalize it is in our social contract and there's a lot of activity in the media around the social contract and what that means can you explain a little bit of what we're trying to do there and what it is and and then where the future of that might lie so it it really started out thinking about the history of
2: the organization because when you look today it, it always had this strong social purpose there was always a sense that it surprised its customers how quickly it responded and what it actually did, and there's a sense that over the time that might have been lost a bit, and you could go through the history and find you know ten examples of external challenges or internal challenges that meant it had lost direction, but it always refound it by coming back to the people and their local connection in the organisation. So when you're going through a time of change and the challenges that are coming up for society, actually understanding what's going on in society, were no different from the past. They were just happening quicker and quicker. There was a sense of a lack of well-being because of the pace of change that was going on. So you need to put a a line in the sand saying, this is a way we're going to work. This is how we're going to adapt to that change. And it had to come from the board. So getting the board to understand that planning was, you know, actually about the well-being of society, not just about the service. And thinking how can you actually relate to your stakeholders, your partners, your staff, and actually what mechanism can we put in place so that's just as important as a leakage target or a, an OPEX target was quite important because it's an embodiment of that objective of having a purposeful company that can adapt to all of these changes and ultimately can actually give that customer experience that we were talking about at the start of this program. And
0: the industry is exploring this this theme as a whole. Where, where do you think we should be headed and what sort of direction should we be taking this in to mature it as, as we move forwards with it?
1: I think it's right for the industry to look at macro issues, but I think it's also right for companies to understand where they are and what their customers have asked for, and therefore to make sure that they develop their social contract or their effectively initiatives which have a social benefit and how they're measured and how they're held to account by their customers and their board is done individually, whilst also contributing to sort of macro societal um, issues as as an industry. So you've got to be working at both levels. I think
2: collaboration comes, that's the real opportunity because as soon as you start having the conversation in a different way, not about assets, not about service levels, but actually about the social aspect of what you're trying to deliver, it opens up opportunities to collaborate, which can actually lead to changes to that that base level of service. Um, you might find new ways of delivering renewable energy because you've, and make a connection with somebody else who actually is sort of planning how that power might be generated more locally in the future. One of the other things we're looking at is quite a big movement in Bristol to look at sustainable food. Actually, how could you grow food more locally and how can you reduce plastic by actually having people more time to engage with that um, supply chain? And obviously that will have a big impact on water supply because people would be more using water for food growing, but how can we help them, you know, develop that? And these are the sort of ideas and opportunities that can only work with collaboration. And that applies across the whole water industry where we, you know, as a small company, you nick the best ideas that you can have. And actually your best way of getting your message across is by getting other companies to work with you on the ideas that you've had as well. And that concept's in the history of Bristol Water. And it's also seems to be one that fits with a social contract. So, we wanted to get that message out there to other people. We'll see whether that had a positive effect over time. But that was the reason for doing it. It was part of the company, but it's also our necessity as a small company to get make
1: the best of the things that we're really good at. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting when you look at the outcome you're trying to get, and so if Bristol Energy were here I'm sure they'd talk about energy as a service so they now look rather than you supplying kilowatts per X amount of kilowatts or how much is your annual bill they look at what's the outcome the outcome is a warm home so if your home if you want your home to be 21 degrees then looking at the energy you need to get to 21 degrees also then will look holistically around you know the insulation you've got for example so you start to then bring in other collaborators to get the right outcome for that individual rather than just think, focusing on your individual product and I think that's where we we're open to business we're open to ideas to look at how does our product work within a effectively within the home within society within business as, as part of that altogetherness togetherness to get the outcomes which which people want
0: yeah i think that's right i think it's fascinating when you explore it in that so many of the issues are our, our customers engage with and so many of the services we provide whether we're a water industry or an energy provider or, or or something else you know providing food they're all very interrelated and they all come back to the same customers and actually by as soon as you start to cross these boundaries you, you really explore the power of of, of, to steal a, an academic word from, from a, an earlier episode of the podcast, the nexus between all these different issues and how you can kind of make the most of them and exploiting that in, in, in That's right. where they, they bounce yeah. off one another.
1: And, and, you know, whilst I said it before, it's all about human and not about technology, technology does have a huge part to play in that. So, a good example would be uh, someone who's struggling to pay their bill. There's lots of different ways they can get help paying that bill through different companies. But at the moment, they have to navigate through different ways, different schemes. As we integrate more, you know, making sure that we, you know, take a very careful around privacy and data security, but the opportunity to integrate more will give a much better experience to each problem which individuals or uh, groups have. I and mean, it's worth exploring a bit what our
2: social contract actually does in practice. And we haven't actually forced anybody to do anything. First of all, the fact, why do people want to work in the water industry? And normally it's not particularly because of water supply, it's usually because they've got some environmental, some public health, some scientific thing, even economics occasionally, that drives them to be really interested in doing something. And that tends to be what attracts them, and then they tend to stay in it for a long time. So you building on that, it's actually finding, well actually this is what you really want to do at work. If we give you a framework where that could actually be the most important thing the company does in the long run, it actually is helps you with your purpose in the organisation. It actually gives you some acknowledgement then about the things that you care about, including like whether it's bees, pollination, biodiversity. They are actually part of a water company's role. They're always there in every water company, but it's not always obvious to the people that actually they make a difference and their ideas might actually um, have some wider impact. So the social contract does that at the least. It also then makes connections to the outside world a bit more. And again, that addresses the challenge that the water industry tends to look in on itself when actually it might be missing the bigger opportunities that are going on around it. So it does actually fundamentally try and change those two things, but in a very gentle way and very much from a, a kind of uh, the culture of organizations and the people that you work with whether it's city to see or working with creative different organizations and that's the only thing that you can do through that approach that you couldn't try and do in a, a another sort
0: of way in a different form of organization. I think the thing that's intrigued me as we've spoken through each of these these different areas is there's a sort of a, a bit of an inside out uh, approach to some of this. So. Reflecting on what you said, my, my takeaways here are, are that there's a real thing about creating from the inside a purposeful organization that's empowering people around the values and being authentic about what you do and attracting people into the industry for all the reasons you've just described. But it has this kind of external outpouring where you then get into the world of co-creation and collaboration, all to create that challenging and tailor-made customer experience uh, and driving towards what the customers really want and what, what matters to them. So bring it to a close, it being a podcast on innovation. I've asked everybody the same question and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask ask you guys on on the theme of customer experience, not what's the next big thing, but what's the next flop? So what's more hype than than substance? What's what's gonna let us down a little bit over the next couple of years? Who's gonna be brave enough to to you fit know, in I, with an answer? I I'm, I'm not sure about a lot of the things which are currently coming around I, mean, I was i was
1: thinking about a few of the things which have have flopped or haven't been adopted and, and why that is so if you look at something like qr codes they were the future we were going to qr code everything and effectively technology moved on so quickly didn't it you know if you look back at blackberries how they were used compared to smartphones so technology is moving very quickly i mean google glasses is a good example of something which you know was going to be fantastic but you know there's all sorts of privacy issues and i think for, for me technology is out there it's, it's offering solutions but we as a human sort of society need to adopt these things to work for us and in a way which it gives us value in society so you know some of the some of the sort of ideas which will come come out are exciting for a time I mean I was on holiday recently how many people had kindles no one Everyone's got a book, so some, sometimes you know it, it, the the technology there, but actually I can't. We couldn't exist without other elements of it. So plenty of things, but they have
0: to settle down. So if I was to push you, what what, what do you think today is sitting on a bit of a running time limit? Exciting today, maybe not tomorrow.
1: I I think at the moment, AI is an interesting one where there's a huge amount of opportunity. But if it's done wrong, it could end up like, you know, the early phase of outsourcing where they went across, the service wasn't aligned, it was being done in a way which the customer can, can, you know, communicate with. So you think about all those call centers we offshored and then brought back again, because they just weren't done in the right way. And I think AI could go down the same way if it's not done right. But for certain scenarios, it's absolutely brilliant. So just be careful, I think. And Ian, how about you? So I'm going to give a bit more of an
2: awkward answer, as you don't know. But the thing that's the biggest flop is the idea that you can nudge people to change their behavior. So behavioral science is the biggest flop because it completely, although the tools are right, it misses the point about cultural change. And by cultural change, I mean, actually, this is the reason why you can't tell whether AI is going to work or not, because it will only be adopted if people actually want to use it. And like the social contract, they will feel a positive change to them rather than something that's happening to them. So I was talking with um, somebody in Bristol the other week, and they'd actually been exploring artificial intelligence in the creative process with poets, artists. And they thought they'd used artificial intelligence to and taught it how to be creative but they actually used it as inspiration for the human then actually challenging their own creative thought process and for me that was the idea of actually if that became the cultural norm about how you used artificial intelligence because it improved your own creativity as a human you actually could learn from that and actually improve your own perception it has actually going to something that would culturally become adopted but actually if it was as ben says just something that was being done to you then people will reject that they will reinvent it they will it won't be the innovation you thought you were imposing it'll actually become something else same applies to the water industry and particularly on water efficiency if you think you can go and get people to use less water you're wrong what you actually have to do is understand and work with them to understand what's other things going on in their lives that's going to change that that's actually going to help you actually persuade them to you know change their lifestyle that will actually automatically make it easy for them to use less water and it 's that sort of thing that applies to any innovation rather than the the tool or the technology in itself um, so that 's a typical economist avoiding the question but The biggest flop is those who think you can just nudge people into something else without actually working out what's going on in their lives.
0: Superb guys. Thank you very much for your time and your insights. I've really enjoyed it. My takeaways there are really around that, that purposeful organization and and the the co-creation you can, you can encourage people towards with it. I think that's fantastic. So thank you. Wonderful. Thanks Chris. Thanks for joining us on our innovation quest. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and if it has sparked any thoughts on where we could work together to push the industry forwards, we'd love to hear from you. Please do go to our website or contact us through innovation at bristolwater.co.uk.